Our gospel reading this morning is from the 20th chapter of St. John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, this was Easter day, the day of Jesus' resurrection, the doors of the house where the disciples had met, they were locked because of their fear of the Jews. So Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Now after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came again and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but These are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in His name. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Well, good morning. It is good to welcome you to worship this morning, knowing that we sort of uh, worship in a virtual community, so welcome to all those who are in this particular community or wherever you may be, in your homes, in your, in your uh, living rooms or dens or wherever you might be joining us for worship. We are just so glad to be able to have this opportunity to be able to worship together. Special welcome to Alex. Thank you. It's always a blessing to have you with us in worship and to share your gifts. I know you're eager always to share your gifts for God's glory, and so thank you for that. It's our privilege for the next, uh, while we're worshiping in this fashion, to welcome musicians into this worship experience and our time together, and and we look forward always to uh, welcoming musicians. Let's pray together. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the inspiration of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. A friend of mine named Frank told me a story of going to an Atlanta Braves baseball game when he was a kid. Now, it's probably um, places it in the late 1960s or so. He was on the first base side, upper deck, glove ready to snag any foul ball that that, um, that came to his way. As luck would have it, Hank Aaron, who was his absolute idol in those days, he fouled one off in the third inning right in front of his seats, easily within reach, except that Frank was in the restroom at the time. <laughs> he missed the whole thing, and the kid directly in front of him caught the ball. 
when Frank came out, he was so upset and said exactly what you would expect him to say. No way, he yelled, which is sort of what happened to Thomas, don't you think, in the story that we've just read? It was Easter night. Jesus has just been raised from the tomb earlier that morning. Only Mary Magdalene has, has seen him, and the disciples, they weren't so sure to trust her. I mean, a woman 2,000 years ago, keep in mind. They weren't so sure. Besides, the Romans and others who had killed Jesus and now were looking for his followers, so the disciples, they were just hiding out behind locked doors, confused, scared. Then, in today's reading, Jesus shows up totally unannounced. He walks through the locked door. He shows them his, his hands and his, his side, and everybody goes crazy, except for Thomas. Because, well, well, Thomas missed it. He wasn't there. We don't know why. We don't know where he was. But, but when his friends tell him the story, you know what he says, right? No way, he says. I'm not going to believe it till I see it. You know, the unfortunate thing about this story is, uh, is that most of us hear it and know it as the story of doubting Thomas, as if Thomas is some type of a hard-headed skeptic, maybe he's even a cynic, loaded down with doubt. Well, look, if that's your impression of Thomas, do me a favor, and at least for the time being, set that aside. Set that aside entirely. Don't think of him as the doubting Thomas. If you have to think of him as something altogether, just think of him as the seeking Thomas. Because here's the deal. The stories of the Bible are filled with people who are searching for something. They're seeking something. Adam and Eve, first story of Scripture. They're seeking greater knowledge, so they eat the forbidden fruit. Jacob was seeking a blessing, so he lies to his father and to his brother. Moses was seeking freedom, so he led the people of Israel across the Red Sea. Delilah was seeking power, so she cut Samson's hair to control his strength. David was seeking respect, so he challenged Goliath to a duel. You get it, right? Story after story are, are of people who are seeking something, so it's not at all surprising that the first words out of Jesus' mouth in John's gospel are these, what are you looking for? In other words, what are you seeking, he asks. He understands that that's our nature. I mean, that's who we are. We are people who are always searching for something. We're always filled with questions, asking questions. Frederick Buechner is a great inspirational author, and, and he, he writes this, if there were no room for questions… <laughs> there would be no room for me. Unfortunately, a lot of folks, at least in my experience, a lot of folks feel guilty about their questions, assuming that the church is only made up of folks who have all the answers and wavering in their, in their faith, uh, confident, sure. And, and that may be the case with, with a lot of Christians. That, that, that may be how a lot of Christians come across across at least, projecting a kind of confidence that admittedly sometimes borders on, on arrogance. It's what I like to call a, a theology of certainty. But that's not how the church started out. I mean, think about it. Again, this story. How did the other disciples react to Thomas's request to see before he could believe? Did they pile on the guilt? Did they scold him? No. None of that. 
in fact, the opposite. I mean, if you were to go back to our reading today and look at verse 26, it reads like this. A week later, keep that in mind, a week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was there with him. Now, if my math is correct, that means that Thomas was with the disciples as an unbeliever for a week, for seven days. He was allowed to ask questions. He was allowed to voice doubt and, and wonder out loud, which means that Thomas and his questions and his doubts were welcomed. Think about it. In that same room lived strong belief and utter doubt. I have to confess, I'm a pastor in the church, right? <laughs> but I'm fully aware that churches are far too often places of rigid indoctrination rather than open discovery. Believe like we believe or you're not welcome here is a message that a lot of folks sort of hear from, from us. For some, it's a it's a convincing message, maybe even a comforting message, because they're eager to live and breathe in a place where everything is rather black and white and maybe even filled with a sense of urgency. And I get that sometimes that's a comfortable place for folks. But today's story points us to another model altogether. I mean, Jesus's, Thomas's eyes weren't opened to the risen Christ because of guilt and certainly not because of threats that he heard from others, certainly his friends, the other disciples. And nor was it just because Jesus let him touch his, his hands and his, and his side. Thomas's conversion, and this is so very important, Thomas's conversion began when his community of faith, his community of friends took seriously his doubts and his questions. It began when they welcomed him to join them behind closed doors. Look, had they not done that, Thomas may never have met the resurrected Jesus. That doesn't mean that they compromised anything of what they knew or what they had seen, and neither should we. But it does mean that that, that community, that earliest Christian community, can't get any earlier than that. <laughs> They're the first. It was defined by openness, by vulnerability, and by humility. And that's what God expects of us. To, to be a place where the seeker can seek, where the lost can find her way home. So here's what we learn from this story. Thomas was a seeker, right? Which means that deep down he was thirsty. And when you're thirsty... You're ready and you're eager to discover truth. On my dad's tombstone in Gastonia are words from Psalm 42. I love them. As a deer longs for flowing stream, so my soul longs for you. So my soul thirsts for you. Which means this, thirsting, even doubting, are a normal part of the human condition. Number two, Jesus loves community. You see, take a look again at verse 24, if you're following along. Jesus has just visited the disciples for the first time, but it's, it reads this, but Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Why? We don't know. But it, it seems very clear, Thomas chose to face his grief alone rather than in community. I think that's a fairly easy conclusion. 
Now, I understand that that's the way some folks are, that sometimes you just need to be alone to face your own transitions or change or, or tragedy or despair or whatever it means, but, and we have to come to grips with this, right? Sometimes it's our aloneness that feeds our doubt. Something that begins with confusion or complaints about, I don't know, God or, or the church or whatever it is, leads us oftentimes to a place of only seeing the contradictions and the negatives and the darkness. That's all we can suddenly see. That's when we need to be in community, right? That's when we need to be alongside folks who will walk with us without judging us. Now, no doubt the church needs to supply those companions to create space for that kind of healthy, by the way, healthy community. But sometimes we have to take the initiative ourselves. Annie Dwyer writes this in her poem, Exodus. I have learned to surround myself with belief the way the blind surround themselves with those who can see. Number three, Jesus, don't forget this, Jesus comes looking for Thomas. You see, at the root of Thomas' struggle with doubt was that he felt Jesus was absent in your life. Have you ever felt that way? Of course you have, even, I mean, especially now in these days of social distancing and quarantine and isolation. I mean, think of those who are living alone or those who are already or or entered into this time period with uh, places of depression, quarantine can be a very lonely place, a terribly lonely place that, that might be calling out for a lot of folks who we may not literally hear, but rest assured are crying out, where are you, God? But even in other times of our lives, when we are calling out that same question, where are you, God, when my mother died? Where are you, God, when, when I had to face this divorce alone? Where are you, uh, God, when, when I need a friend? It, it's frightening to think of an absent God, isn't it? But another poet, Denise Leverton Tove, shares a different twist. She writes this, Lord, not you, it is I who am absent. You are the stream. You are the fish. You are the light, the pulsing shadow. You, the unchanging presence in whom all moves and changes. When we discover, what we discover is not that Jesus is absent, but that Thomas is absent. He missed the fly ball from his hero, his idol, because he wasn't anywhere to be found. Thankfully, our relationship with Jesus does not end that way because we know, don't we, that Jesus will come bursting through locked doors to find us. Briefly, final little story. Walt Wangren, who many of you remember is just a fantastic storyteller. Walt Wangren tells the story of his childhood when there was a large cherry tree in his backyard with branches that made a perfect hiding place for any little boy. Here's his story of the day that he doubted his father. He writes this. Dreaming in my tree, I was often oblivious of changes in the weather. Only when a midday gloom darkened my book did I glance around, but 
Suddenly, one summer afternoon, a fresh wind ripped through the backyard and whacked my cherry tree with such force that it tore the book from my hands and nearly threw me from my hiding place. I locked my arms around each forking branch, and I held on. I tried to wind my legs around the limb behind me, but the whole tree was wallowing in the wind. Daddy, I yelled out. The sky, it grew black. Dust whirled higher than the house. A lightning bolt dropped from the clouds. Then the thunder crashed. Boom! And I yelled into the black sky, Daddy! Now the tree bowed deeply, and it rose again. The wind, it sucked my shirt up to the back of my neck, and the rain, it hit like BBs, and I felt my arms slipping again, Daddy! And there he was. He stood framed by the back door. Here, I yelled, out here, up here in the tree, Daddy, come and get me. I, I, I rode that tree like riding huge waves on the ocean, and he saw me, sure enough, and, and he came out, and, and I felt so relieved because I just knew that he'd climb up and carry me down. But that wasn't his plan at all. He came to a spot right below me, and he lifted up his arms, and he called out, let go. What? I yelled, let go of the branch, Wally. I'll catch you. Let go. I had a crazy man for a father. I mean, he was a half a mile below me. He had tiny little old sticks for arms. If I let go, I'd hit that ground and I'd die. No way, I screamed. At least I could feel the bark against my body. I made up my mind and I shut my eyes. I'd stay right there until the storm had passed. But a greater rush of wind then bent that tree backward, cracked my limb at the trunk, and I dropped my eyes flew open. I didn't shout. I was terrified. Then the wood splintered. The limb sank, and so did I know. I did not jump. I fell. In that swift, eternal instant, I thought, this is what it's like to die. But my father called me, and he squeezed me to himself. I wrapped my arms around him, and I felt the scratch of his whiskers on his face, and I, and I began to cry. He called me, my father, the man with the strongest arms in the world. He called me. Jesus said to Thomas, put your hands here in my hands and in my side. Thomas did. And he fell in wonder and yelled out, My Lord and my God. Precious Lord, take my hand, we sing. And please, oh please, lead me home. Amen.